Welcome to the Go Bucket Yourself podcast. I'm Deb. And I'm Chris. We've traded in the ordinary and predictable to discover what the path of authenticity, adventure, meaning, and connection might look like. We're parents of two wonderful young ladies. We're partners, travel bugs, co-creators, and early retirees that stepped away from predictable paychecks to live our bucket list lives. In this podcast, we share stories of people who are navigating the sometimes messy middle stages of life and attempting to come out the other side having led a meaningful and authentic life while steering clear of a midlife crisis if we can help it. In season three of the Go Bucket Yourself podcast, we're talking about rewriting your story. We're taking lessons from our guests and ourselves to serve as inspiration to help you make your next big leap into the extraordinary. Thank you so much for joining us. And now on to today's episode. All right. Today, we're excited to talk to Adam Cuello, get to know him a little bit better. He's the host and executive producer of the Mindful Fire podcast that's all about creating the life you were meant to live using mindfulness, financial independence, and envisioning. He's also a father, a husband, a speaker, a facilitator, and he's been at Google for 12 years where he's taught mindfulness, envisioning, and emotional intelligence to over 2,500 Googlers around the world. Adam, that's the first time I had heard or read the term Googlers. So I liked uh, that. Is that like inside jargon? You guys use that together? That is what we call Google employees internally. Yep. Googlers. Okay. Very good. Well, yeah. Welcome, Adam. I'm excited to, to dive into today's conversation. Debbie largely put together today's outline, uh, but we've just had a quick chat, you know, before we hit the record button. And I'm excited to dive into some of these topics. Uh, It's a lot of the topics that we uh, find fascinating, we know a little bit about, but um, I love talking to other folks that um, can maybe color in some of those, those blank uh, spaces that I haven't quite resonated with me yet. But before we dive into that too, I, I also want to, I'm in a, a community called Front Row Dads and sometimes we gloss over, you know, the dad and husband component to that. So yeah, it's, uh, you were saying you've got one, one kid, son, daughter. Yeah, I have one. Uh, well, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, I have yes, one yes, son. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here with you both. I love what you're doing and excited to share kind of my approach and thoughts on the topic. Um, So yeah, I have one son. He's three and a half. Uh, His name's Carter. He's currently at school, uh, which is why I can record this inside instead of in the uh, (laughs) sunroom that you see here. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we have another one on the way. So things are about to get real in the Cuello household. (laughs) Exciting. That is exciting. Congratulations on having two very soon. We were glad we could... um, squeeze this in with you before your second one came along. Um, I was really drawn to you, I think through social media, but just intrigued by the fact that you do talk some about personal finance under this umbrella of like life design sort of um, mindfulness because you don't see those things often paired together. And I also saw that you were leading like weekly meditations uh, through your podcast. So I thought, oh, it'd be fun to have a conversation with him. And luckily we are doing that. So maybe we could jump in by um, talking about mindfulness, what that means to you Absolutely. would love to. So really, when I think about mindfulness, it's really all about 
seeing your experience as it is with an attitude of openness, curiosity, and kindness. The definition that I use when I teach mindfulness at Google is from a, a guy named John Kabat-Zinn, who is one of the most famous teachers and really popularized this concept in the West. And he says that mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And so ultimately, this is just about seeing your experience, what's happening internally in your body and mind, and externally in your environment with an attitude of curiosity. And there's kind of two components to this. There's the awareness piece, which is what's actually happening. Am I, can I see what's going on? And then there's the attitude of kindness and curiosity and openness. Um, and for the longest time, I was just focused on the awareness piece, right? When I'd sit down to practice mindfulness with meditation, which you can think of as just mental training, I would practice focusing on my breath, feeling the breath coming in, feeling the breath going out. When my mind would wander, I would notice that, bring it back, notice it, bring it back, notice it, bring it back. And it was almost like a boot camp style training. But the more I realized that this attitude of non-judgment, just seeing what's coming up with, huh, oh, there's that story again. There's that thought again. That allowed me a lot more ease in how I went about the practice because for the longest time, and a lot of people experience this, I was convinced I was doing it wrong. I was thinking my mind needed to be clear or calm or serene. Um, but really it's more about just being aware. And the more I brought in that curiosity and that kindness to the approach, the more I was able to just sit in the practice. And then that translates into life, right? What we practice on the cushion, we bring into the world. And that kindness and curiosity really allows me to be aware of what's going on, you know, when I'm noticing myself getting tense in a meeting or frustrated with my son, uh, I can see, oh, I'm getting frustrated. I don't need to like beat myself up about getting frustrated. I can just notice it and choose a different way of being. Yeah, I love those two words, curiosity and kindness. I think <laughs> it's one of those, as you said, those is like, I think we could probably get rid of almost everything else. If we just stayed with curiosity and kindness, the rest of this episode or hell, the rest of our lives, <laughs> we'd probably have a pretty, pretty good life that we'd be proud of. But um, I think for me, kindness was that, that huge component. Uh, prior to engaging in any kind of meditation, um, I just assumed, yeah, like you, Adam, that you had to have this clear mind. You had to be able to just like shut off the mind. And I just was never given that switch. So I would just get so frustrated when I would try to do the things as far as like I'm following the breath and then boom, I'm off on, you know, my mind is back engaged. I'm back engaged. And then I had um, quite a few guided meditations using the Calm app. Uh, and there was the, one of the guides was uh, Tamara Levitt, and she, I think she got a lot of instruction from John Kabat-Zinn, but she just really focused in on that, that kindness component, like, like gently coming back to the breath or kindly or kind of like laughing it off or shrugging it off, like, oh, isn't that kind of funny that, that your mind started to wander again? That's okay. Let's bring it back. 
And that was, that was very big for me. Cause I'm, I'm very rigid on like, this is the rule. The rule says you have to follow ABC. My mind is wandering and therefore I'm doing it wrong. So that was big for me, but it sounds like it was, was that a, a big component for you as well? Totally. And I hear it all the time from people, right? They're like, oh, I can't do it because my mind is so busy or I can't do it because my mind's all over the place. What was so helpful for me and what I find really helpful when I teach people is expect that to happen, right? Know that your mind is going to do what it does, create thoughts. So mm -hmm. if you expect that to happen, it's not a, it's not a problem when it happens. And bringing that kindness into the picture allows you to kind of, yeah, just almost be glad you noticed. And the thing that also has been helpful is that knowing it's going to happen and knowing the, that the practice is not having no thoughts. The practice is noticing, mm -hmm. noticing, and then bringing it back over and over again is actually the practice, right? When I said it's mental training, right? Meditation is like exercise for your brain. And it's like doing a bicep curl each time you notice your mind has wandered and you choose to kindly bring it back. And mm -hmm. so expecting it to happen and then realizing that each time it does happen, it's not a problem. It's actually you doing a rep and your brain is getting stronger in, yeah. in terms of the mental muscles of attention and meta attention which is just the attention of attention or the mm -hmm. ability to know that your mind is wandered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really love that analogy and this idea of curiosity that you brought up because to me, it just makes it so much more playful and light, right? If I can be curious, often I can just like find myself internally giggling at what's coming up or what I'm noticing. Um, so it takes it away from, you know, that like, pressure or I'm doing it wrong or this isn't what I should be doing right now. So I appreciate that. Um, I'm also wondering for anyone that is finding like sitting on the mat super difficult, what might be some other mindfulness practices uh, in, that we can you know, experience in our lives other than sitting on a meditation mat? Are there any other mindfulness practices you talk about? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you can practice mindfulness in any kind of any posture or in any moment, really, you can bring a mindful attention to anything. Um, some, some specific practices that people might want to try if they don't like sitting, they can do a walking meditation, which is essentially just walking about 10 paces, feeling all the muscles that are moving in your feet, in your legs, in your, you know, in your body, right? There's a lot going on as you walk. So just bringing that kind, curious awareness to the experience of walking, then stopping, turning around, coming back, doing it again. Um, that that's a meditation as well. And, and many times on retreats, you'll switch between sitting and walking meditation, because you, you know, you just can't physically sit for for such a long period of time without getting horribly uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, yoga is a great way to practice mindfulness, right? Because you're being aware of your breath, you're being aware of your body in the different postures. And so and, and really, yoga was created to prepare the body and mind for meditation. So that's another way you can do it. But then also just 
very simple micro practices that you can do. If you're joining, let's say in the work context, right? You're joining a meeting. As you sit down at the meeting or as you get ready to open up the Zoom, just take one to three breaths. Just breathe in and breathe out. Just checking in with yourself. Okay, how am I doing right now? Am I, what am I feeling? Because a lot of what we're talking about here is developing self-awareness, right? Self-awareness of what's going on for me right now. What am I feeling in my body? What am I, what am I thinking in my mind? Because a lot, of that, a lot of the time, that's totally unconscious. So just taking one to three breaths can allow us to kind of sync up with our body and our mind and proceed a little bit more intentionally as we go into that meeting or in that interaction. And so it doesn't need to be, you know, a hour long meditation or going on retreat. Really, it's about bringing it into real life. Uh, Sharon Salzberg, one of the most famous meditation teachers as well, she says, we don't practice, we don't meditate to become better meditators, we meditate to become better at life. And so that's really, the more you can bring it into daily life, the better off you're going to be and the more benefits you're going to see in your life. Yeah, that's been super helpful. So like Deb and I just got back from from Camp Phi and there we we got to hang out with like about 50, 60 other folks um, and talking about financial independence, life design and all of that. Um, I love talking about that stuff, but I can definitely get overstimulated by being around too many people too much, especially kind of in this chapter of my life that's a lot quieter than uh, previous chapters. And so I, it's critical for me to be able to have some practice where even if I'm not physically extricating myself uh, from all the stimulation, I can at least uh, reset and give myself a little more cushion by taking some of those deep breaths um, or b- before I'm uh, you know, moving into the next session or, or whatever it happens to be, just kind of checking in with my body to see if I'm aware right now. Uh, like one thing that happened was, you know, there was a, there was some cool things getting ready to happen that evening. And I really wanted to, to, to continue on into the, the evening, but I, I like stepped outside and just did a check-in with my body. And I'm like, Nope, I'm overstimulated right now. I need to go up to bed. And that might mean that I miss a great conversation or a great connection, but I have to just be okay with that. And I think in years past without having that awareness, I just would have done whatever the mind, you know, is scatter shotting everywhere. <laughs> like you should do this, you should do this and, and everything. So that's been helpful for me as well. Yeah. Um, all good tips. I think things that we use here too, we talk about going to nature a lot. So going on a walk and noticing, just being super intentional about noticing the environment around you. Um, for me often just turns into an active meditation, right? So I'm noticing my inner world and noticing the outer world and focusing, trying to continually draw my focus back to what I'm noticing around me. Um, so yeah, I appreciate all of those good tips. That's very practical. Um, I'm wondering, you know, we heard in your bio that you're a Googler and, um, some of your history at Google, but I'm wondering what led you from, you know, you're starting out at Google 12 years ago. We can picture that might be a whole other world from this like mindfulness thing you're working on now. So what led you from that place to where we we see you now? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, when I started at Google 12 years ago, it was 
was a whole different, yeah, I mean, Google was very different. It was 30,000 people. Now we're like 150,000 people. And I was very different, right? I was just fresh out of college and also, you know, kind of in the, I had a startup before I came to Google. So I was just kind of like hustling and, and trying to make things happen. And I was completely unaware of the stories going on in my head, right? I felt this kind of like tension of trying to like make things happen or wanting things to be a certain way, but I was just totally resisting, right? I was resisting what is, right? That's a, that's a phrase I use often when I think, talk, talk about mindfulness. It's, it's like this right now in my body, it's like this right now in my mind, it's like this. And I was resisting what, what was in my job, in my life. And one day I was, Google has these shuttles. When I lived in San Francisco, Google has these shuttles that bring you to and from work basically, because it's kind of far. Um, and so I was complaining to a friend at Google about riding the shuttle, right? I was like, oh, you know, even though it's like the most privileged thing you could possibly do, <laughs> <laughs> ride a charter bus with Wi-Fi from your house to the office. But I was complaining nonetheless. And he was like, Hey, you should try meditating. And I was like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I have no idea what meditating is. Uh, he's like, it makes me a better father, better husband, better at work. And I was like, Oh man, like pump the brakes, dude. Like I thought this guy was trying to tell <laughs> sell me a timeshare or something. Um, and I, you know, but I had this time to kill on the shuttle. So I decided, all right, he gave me some guided meditations. Let me give it a shot. And very quickly, I was convinced I was doing it wrong. I realized I was terrible at meditating. My mind was all over the place. And around that same time, I went to a retreat with my wife. And this wasn't one of those silent 10-day retreats, which I eventually did. But this one was more of a Groupon that I bought for my wife for Valentine's Day, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really eye-opening because I went and I learned some uh, practices and kind of the approach for meditation and realized that what I was experiencing was completely normal, right? The mind creates thoughts, as I said before, and our, it's just our job to notice that and come back to the breath. And that really allowed me to bring this practice into my life on a regular basis. And I started building from there. Then at Google, there was a course a couple of years later that I took uh, that was called, that's called search inside yourself. It's obviously a pun on Google being a search engine. And this guy <laughs> created this course at Google. He, it's all about emotional intelligence and developing emotional intelligence through mindfulness. And I took that course and it gave me some really practical ways to relate to what was going on. Because I said, as I said, I didn't have awareness of this voice in my head. I just had this like feeling of tension and kind of uh, lack, right? I was, I was always looking for something outside of myself to make things better. And this course gave me some practical ways to get to know myself better and to start you know, befriending that voice inside my head and realizing that those stories are just thoughts. And the more I can observe them without judgment through mindfulness, the more I can, the, the less power they have over me, 
And so that was kind of the, the evolution of that. And from there, a few years later, I became a facilitator of this program. And that kind of really kickstarted this area of my life for me. And that's where I've, I started facilitating, you know, for other Googlers, groups of about 60 or 70, where we'd take them through the two-day workshop and teach them these tools and then have like a little mini retreat on the, sec on the third day. Um, and from there, I started developing mindfulness through resilience programs and uh, envisioning programs as well. Uh, and this has just kind of blossomed into a huge part of my life. And now I lead, uh, now I host the Mindful Fire podcast, where I really explore how this relates to mind, uh, uh, financial independence, retire early, uh, in that movement, because those those two areas kind of became huge passions for me. And I I really saw that there's quite a quite an overlap there that no one else is really looking at. So I wanted to start having conversations to explore that. Mm, there's a million things I want to dig into about what you just sort of opened up. But I mean, first, like, wow, what a full circle moment for you to have been on that bus, you know, just consumed by these irritating thoughts, and then now leading other Googlers through these practices to help them be mindful. So that's amazing. Um, and quite a turnaround. Yeah. Um, I do want to dig into your ideas of um, envisioning and what mindfulness for people that don't see the connection has to do with personal finance. But first, I wanted this season, we're talking about simplicity. And I really I thought of you right away for this season. Um, and so I hope you can maybe draw a connection for someone listening, like, what, how does adding something like mindfulness meditation to your life actually make it simpler? Isn't that like more complicated? What do those two have to do with each other? Yeah, it's a good question. And it is something that I'm continually exploring. And that's kind of evolving for me. The nice thing about these practices is they're lifelong practices, right? It's not like you're going to meditate 100 hours and be good for life. It's something that we need to keep exploring. And, and I really think about that as kind of all aspects of, of developing as a human being. And mindfulness is kind of a a great foundation for doing that. So to your question, I, I want to use an analogy that, or I think a metaphor or analogy, I'm not sure which one it is, but the idea of a lot of times that our, our minds are like a snow globe, right? Our minds are like a snow globe that's constantly being shaken up and agitated. It's very busy. It's very obscure. It's hard to see what's going on inside because things are just swirling around. Mindfulness is like setting the snow globe down on the table, allowing the snow to settle so you can see more clearly what's going on inside. And so when we think about bringing mindfulness, to, to, how mindfulness allows us to simplify our lives, and, and we can talk about money in a second, but I feel like it really allows us to get to know ourselves better and allow ourselves some space to do that, to set the snow globe down, to allow our mind to settle so that we can really see what's going on in our mind and to 
see what's most important to us in any given moment or any given season of our lives so that we can reprioritize and put what's most important, you know, first and foremost, rather than just letting whatever's loudest or most exciting or most shiny object, uh, the most shiny object to pull our attention. So I think that's really where it comes. It, it, it allows us to simplify by giving us more clarity about re- what really matters to us. Yeah. I think that's such a, a big thing is, is the, the awareness portion of it. And until I started fostering and cultivating awareness in my own life, I just realized how little awareness there really was. Like there's a decent amount of, of awareness that I did not have of life is too complex or, or my li- I had, I had a, in, unintentionally created too much complexity, too much speed, too much, a lot of these things in my life, uh, just because I was either following what uh, other people were doing. I was following the American dream. I was following all of these things without really uh, knowing or becoming aware of, of those things myself. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like simplify or it's hard to slow down if you really don't even know if you're going too fast or you've overly complicated your life. Um, the thing is now it's easy for me to, to hear people's conversations and recognize their symptoms are showing that they're they're too busy, you know, not, not too busy to Chris's standards. They're too busy to their own standards. They just have not become aware of that yet. And they haven't began that process of, of simplifying or pruning out some of the things in their life. And so that's where, again, mindfulness is such a great tool just to bring that awareness where you're constantly saying like, what's going on right now? Like, uh, what did you say earlier? Like right now it's like this, uh, you're just becoming aware. Like right now it's like this right now. My mind is racing right now. I have this anxiety tension in my chest right now. Um, I feel scared. And until you become, start using that practice over and over um, to, to constantly check in with yourself, there's just so much of life that just goes by and happens without any awareness. And then it's hard to course correct if you have zero awareness. So, Or I find a lot of life that comes at you. And if you aren't aware of what's important to you, and like you said, Adam, your own priorities, you say yes to all of this life that's coming at you. And then you find the need for simplification, right? So for example, when I left my job, I had a lot of space within my day. And I quickly, due to lack of awareness, filled it up with all of these things that weren't important to me, right? So they were good work, but they just weren't my work. And so I'm leaving my job so I can get healthy and also prioritize time as a mom. And all of a sudden I'm like on the library board, uh, like have two different MLMs. I'm like buying stuff for, you know, not really sell it. It was just like all of this stuff that are not my priorities, not important to me. And awareness helped me realize that and start to let go. And the more you let go, the simpler things are, right? It doesn't mean necessarily that you don't have a schedule to your day, but it's simple because those things are truly important to you, not what other people tell you are important. Um, At least that's my finding. And so when we talk about that, we can maybe easily transition into personal finance and mindfulness and what the two might have to do with each other when we're coming at this place of awareness and you know, looking outside of ourselves and seeing what um, everyone says is important and finally getting clarity on what is important to us. So 
Um, yeah. Would you like to talk about that? Like how you link those two together and why they're both important to you and a topic of your, um, podcast and work. And actually, sorry, Adam, real, real quick. So we are, we do get newer listeners and we don't always talk about like the fire movement or financial independence. We, we pepper it in enough that most people can connect those dots, but, uh, yeah, maybe, I guess just to just for that context, like fire in this case, financial independence. Typically, it means retire early, but you have a slightly different uh, variation that I'd love to to get into as well. But yeah, um, so you you have the Mindful Fire podcast. How did you how did you connect those two pieces? Yeah, sure. You know, and just I would love to if I could just speak a, a little bit about what you guys were saying just before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I find that it's so easy for us just to take on more things, right? Deb, you were saying that you just join the library board and you start doing all these things. It's so easy for us to accumulate projects and things and tasks and hobbies and all these things that, yeah, they're, they're okay, but are they what we're supposed, what we're meant to be doing, right? Or are they just shoulds or supposed tos, right? Mm -hmm. Or nice to haves. I feel like mindfulness really allows us to slow down and ask the question of what is most important to me? What am, what lights me up? What do I want to spend my limited time doing? And let me design my life so that I can do that. And it's a work in progress because some things need to get done. But, you know, when I think about, I've been working on the podcast for about two years now and I just start accumulating things, right? All these things I need to do. You know, we, when we started, we were talking about, I was doing YouTube at first and all these things. And I had every once in a while, I start to feel overwhelmed. Right. And so I can check in with myself and ask the question, okay, why am I doing this? Really? Why am I doing this? And for me, it's to connect with amazing people like you guys. It's to start to kind of build my personal brand so that I can in the future, once I retire, I can know more of what I want to do. So, you know, that's a big mistake people make is they get to fire financial independence, retire early, and they leave their job and then they don't have anything to fill that time. So for me, it's what do I want to do? And can I set myself up with the connections and the skills so that when I finish my work at Google or wherever, then I can go and, and just move right into that. It's probably already going. And so I think it's really a matter of coming to checking with yourself, asking what really matters to me. And another thing that's been helpful is asking the question, whenever you're caught up in a story or you have a thing that you're doing and is, is this useful, right? Is this useful? And if it's not useful, I can just let it go. And so really mindfulness and simplification, it's, it's more of a prioritization process. So I just wanted to share that. And then one other thing I'll share is that another practice, which I heard both of you talk about on uh, several other episodes is journaling, right? I, I know you yeah, have yeah. journaling practice. That is a mindfulness practice in itself right? Because it allows you to get what's in your head out onto paper and to see it more clearly and work with it. And so anytime I'm feeling overwhelmed, I know I need to journal. I know I need to get what's in my head out onto paper and I immediately feel lighter. And then I have a, a, a ability to see it 
and work with it a little bit more easily. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, just a really good tip for anyone, like no pressure about journaling. Cause a lot of people I talk to friends and otherwise are like, Oh, I can't journal. I've tried it. I can't do it. But yeah, if all we're doing is just releasing the overwhelm and moving on, there's no pressure. You don't have to follow any format, just, you know, dump it all there on the page and leave it. Even if you want to throw it out immediately, you can do that and yeah. you'll still feel better. Right. I've had times where it's like, I don't want anyone to read this. I'm just yeah. going to rip it to shreds, throw it in the trash. But I feel lighter afterwards because I feel like everyone's had that experience where their mind is just swirling. Right. We're not meant to like work with ideas in our head. Right. It's very hard to organize the information in our head. So that's why we need to get it onto paper. So it's a little bit more tangible. Yeah. Thank you for drawing those points. I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, in this line of simplifying and mindfulness, how might mindfulness also help us simplify our, our personal finances or our financial independence path? Yeah, great question. And that's definitely the, po- the focus of the Mindful Fire podcast, my podcast, which really looks at how we can live intentionally and live the life we were meant to live using the tools of mindfulness, financial independence, and envisioning. And so I kind of have a different take on the FIRE term, right? So the FIRE movement really is all about financial independence, retire early. I like to think of it more as financial independence, reprioritize early, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many benefits to just getting clear on your money and getting that part of your life kind of tidied up and and in a good place so that you can focus on what you really care about. Most people don't really care about, you know, the dollars and cents and the spreadsheets and all that. And so I think it's it's easy to just get caught up in in all of that, but if you can just get that sorted out, your life becomes so much simpler because you don't have that nagging worry in the background of like, I really should figure this out. Right. That was the first five years of my career. It's like, all right, I'm making money. Right. And I don't know what I'm doing with it. Right. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm too uh, afraid to make a mistake. So I do nothing. Right. And I missed out on years of growth. Right. Luckily up until now we were in a incredible run up of the market, but you know, I, I knew I needed to be doing it. And so that was always kind of like in the back of my head, nagging me and bringing mindfulness to this, right. To this situation, I was able to see, Oh, wait, those fears are there. I can, I have this story of, Oh, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm not going to know what I'm doing. I'm going to lose my money. Are those true? Are those useful? Mm -hmm. And I could then just go and, and start to take some small steps to address my money situation and to kind of, you know, the simple path to wealth, right? Read the book, the simple path to wealth, perfect name for the simplification theme, (laughs) but you know, that book really changed my perspective and another book called the elements of investing, which kind of talks about the same thing of investing in low cost index funds. And the knowledge that I didn't need to pick the winners and the losers, I could just buy the entire market 
that in itself is simple. And yeah. that allowed me to do something and then set it and forget it, invest every month automatically. I just took the 20, like whatever I had to invest divided by 24 months because I wanted to dollar cost average. And I just set it up and let it run. And mm. that was really, really helpful for me and kind of allowed me to not have those, those nagging thoughts in the back of my head. Yeah. So it sounds like mindfulness <clears throat> helped you really examine the truth of these fears that you had swirling so that you could take simple action to building long-term wealth with the income that you had coming in. Would you say it also helped you get clear about what was important for you to spend your money on versus what wasn't important for you to spend your money on? A lot of people, and I was too before, completely unaware of what my life cost, what I was spending my money on, even how much, what was my take-home pay, right? All of these things were totally uh, outside of my awareness. So mindfulness really allowed me to start to look at that and to bring that kind, curious awareness rather than a judgmental uh, sort of approach. A lot of people don't look at it because they are afraid of what they're going to see and they judge themselves for it. And, mm -hmm. you know, certainly I've done that and I'm still working on this. As I said, all of this is a lifelong practice, but the more I was able to say, oh, okay, look, like it's like this. I spent, you know, a thousand dollars at restaurants this month. Okay. Maybe I want to adjust that. Uh, and it started to, it started to allow me to choose a little bit of a different path. Ultimately, when I think about mindfulness and financial independence together, it's really all about awareness and choice, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness of what, what, what are my beliefs about money? What's my money story? You know, for me, it's like, I, I'm pretty cheap. And I, that's one area that I'm working on. I don't want to spend money on anything. Mm -hmm. And that is not necessarily the most useful thing, right? Certainly causes tension with my wife, who does not have that, that belief set. And, and also just like causes me to waste mental energy thinking about very small purchases, right? Um, rather than looking at the big picture of what this will bring to my life. And so it's bringing awareness to those stories that we have about money. And then also to the actual, like, what am I spending my money on? And is that what I want to be spending my money on? There's an element of like, there's parts of money that I do geek out about. Like I, I like to know the budget and I like to play around with the numbers and fiddle with that. But I think I'm in the minority there, but I think that's one thing that in, in the financial independence space, as you start to either take note on the, on the minuscule level, uh, like you're creating a, a real budget, or I think Paula Pant, Paula Pant espouses like the anti-budget method, where it's less about what are my individual expenses, but more of just kind of taking the approach of, I know I want to have financial independence or more freedom in my life. So I'm going to take this pile of money, I'm going to invest it. And then the, the rest, I don't need to nitpick whether I spent a thousand on restaurants or a thousand on shoes or a thousand on nails. You kind of, you, you have that freedom to be a little splurgy, um, maybe compared to other people in the financial independence movement, but you're still making traction on that goal. 
And so again, I think sometimes people think it's one size fits all. Like they have to be the the Chris Emick style that loves spreadsheets and loves, you know, looking at YNAB and the budgeting software we happen to use and making those, you know, those micro optimizations like, oh, all we had to do is change take five dollars out of our eating out budget and five dollars out of the the Christmas gift to budget and all that. And then we can have more money for uh, investing and, and things like that. So again, just a, more awareness. Uh, so it's either you, you have full awareness. Um, but I, I think an, another point you just uh, mentioned there that I really like is once you have the awareness, then you can make that decision. Um, hopefully like in mindfulness from a non-judgmental place, like hopefully you can just like right now it is like this right now. It's like this, that I spent this much money. Is that exactly how I want next month to be? Maybe not. So then what, um, not from a place of like, you are a piece of crap because you spent this, you know, and sometimes we just beat ourselves up too much about that kind of thing. Uh, so that take that non judgmental awareness and then, uh, uh, use that to then, I guess, build that next month. And maybe is that, I, I know you, we, you've used the word envision a lot. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like take that awareness to then envision or to decide or prioritize uh, what that that next uh, step looks like from there? Yeah, the envision is a little bit more long-term, but I would think that what I would use is the word choice, right? Okay. First, you have to have awareness, right? Awareness of where am I spending my money? Awareness of what do I actually want and what's actually important to me? And then choice is, okay, it's like this. How do I want it to be mm-hmm. right? Not from a, I'm resisting what is, but I see it, I'm aware of it. And now I want to choose to go a little bit different in a different path. Mm-hmm. And so maybe next month, I'm going to choose to spend a little bit less money on restaurants and I'm going to cook a little bit more at home, or I'm going to choose to be a little bit less cheap and go buy this thing that I've been thinking about for a while and see how that goes. Yeah. And then be aware of that. That really speaks to me, Adam, because whether we're aware or not, we're constantly making choices, right? So awareness just allows us to make conscious choices, which leads to more awareness and another conscious choice, right? So for specific example, when we started becoming more aware, one of the things that I became aware of was like, um, how much stuff we had in our house. And the more aware I was, the more heavy that started to feel, right? I wanted to like release some of this stuff, not keep bringing more in. And so one way that we make more conscious choices about purchases is when we bring something new in, we have to let go of two things. And so then we're we're like stopping, becoming aware of what we're bringing into the home and deciding if it's really important and what we're going to let go of if we're bringing it in. That's just a way of slowing down the thinking and becoming more aware. But it, it helped me realize like how much, this is a super specific example, how much clothes I had. I had two full closets worth of clothes and I wore probably the same handful of things over and over. So I let go of all of those clothes and I realized like how many cheap things I was buying because they were on sale. And so it wasn't for me about buying less because I was limiting myself or budgeting. It was about 
deciding what I wanted to buy because it was important to me. So often now I buy less, but what I buy is more expensive because it's been made in a sustainable way or a fair trade sort of way, right? So it's more expensive, but I buy a lot less of it. It lasts a lot longer. It's something I actually want because I have to slow down my thinking and and, you know, limit my options for purchasing. Um, yeah, so that's what was coming to mind when you guys were talking. And I just wanted to give that specific example. Yeah, Do you have anything more to example. add? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's really, um, it's all about figuring out what matters to you, right? And, you know, when I think about the FIRE movement, I, I think that there are so many people that are just racing towards that number, right? That FI right. number. If once I get to $2 million, then I can retire and then I can live my life, right? And I was very much doing that for a long time, right? Hence the being very cheap and not wanting to spend the money on anything. I was so focused on that and, and living for the future, really, right? If only this, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. But the more I started to you know, notice this story with mindfulness, with awareness, without judgment, I was able to see like, that's not help. That's not serving me. Right. I need to live my life now. Right. My life is not in the future. It is happening here and now every day and in every moment. And so how do I be happy right now with what I have? And the more I kind of turn my attention a little bit, turn my awareness to this kind, curious way of seeing, the more I saw, I already have everything I say I want right? I I said, Oh, you know, I need to retire so I can be an entrepreneur. I'm already an entrepreneur, right? I want to retire so I can teach mindfulness and get paid for it. I already teach mindfulness and get paid for it. And probably Mm -hmm. more than I would if I taught mindfulness and got paid for it. So (laughs) it's, it's like, we can just shift our awareness a little bit and see in a lot of cases that we have that thing we say we need. And so that that's been really powerful for me this year. And I've been noticing it again and again, you know, even with when I was saying about the why I'm doing the podcast to become a, you know, a thought leader in the space. My friend was like, dude, you're already a thought leader in the space. You've published like 75 episodes. Like, it's like, <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess yeah. you're right. Yeah, I loved that. And that you like, as we were preparing for our talk today, you brought up this idea of enough or enoughness. And that's one of my focus words for this year. Like, I am enough. I already have enough. Uh, I'm already doing enough, right? And like, living from that space really allows you to make conscious choices, not just like grasping at, at whatever it is you think you want to be in the future or have in the future. Um, and I think it also speaks to this, um, idea that you're mentioning. That's like, I already have everything I need, right? It's already available to me. It's already here. I already have enough. So, um, I don't know if you want to talk about enough a little bit, and I definitely want to get to your thoughts on envisioning before we start wrapping, um, our conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the concept of enough has been huge for me as well right? In the same way that you're just describing it, but also just like with regards to like money, right? Like I have enough, right? And even if I spend a little bit more on the things that I want or the things that will enhance my life now, I still have enough. 
and I'm going to have enough down the road as well. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it also is really about kind of pulling that future I want to have into the present a little bit more and realize that I can start living that life right now. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't need any more money or a different job or anything to do the things I want. My mind goes straight to like, oh, if only this were the case, but it is the case (laughs) if I want to, (laughs) if I want it to be. And so that that's been really big for me. And um, yeah, it's just something that I'm constantly untangling um, uh, again and again. It's, it's just so, so important for me and, and coming from a place of sufficiency versus a place of lack mm-hmm. is such a, is, it's so empowering, right? When you, when you're coming from a place of lack, you're, you're missing something, right? There's something about you or your situation that is not good enough. And I spent enough of my life coming from that place. Um, It's not useful. But if I come from a place of I already have everything I need, then it's just it's all it's all great, right? It's all opportunity to connect and create and it feels very different. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to to practice. And, you know, as I said, it's a work in progress. And I think it will be for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, same for me as well. And then I think too, I, I see myself and others get, get hung up in this place of, um, they, they maybe have some level of, of a growth mindset or a full level of growth mindset, but then they also want to practice, um, being completely okay with everything or they see a contradiction to the growth mindset. Um, if you say everything is okay as it is, and, and I still struggle with that. And I, I struggle to try to help people because I, I want to set to me. I mean, I want to, if someone's asking my advice, I want to, 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 from that whole place, say like everything as is right now is, is enough. Everything is sufficient. Everything that I need is here. So make becoming aware of that and using that as, as your foundation to then build on that next layer. So if that next foundation is, I do need to leave my job uh, to pivot to another place, or I need to leave my job and take a sabbatical. Um, it's not, it's not that you have to be completely content. Um, well, I don't know, maybe not content. Like, it's not like you can't have ideas for the future that allow, that are going to require some growth. They're going to require some connection and therefore make changes to the current status quo but it is, I think that the appreciation and the recognition, oh, awareness <laughs> <laughs> of, of where you are right now. And just, I don't know, like, that. so that's what I try to do. I just try to be very grateful for where I am, acknowledge and be aware of where I am. And then also say like, this is important to me and, and making that step forward. I feel like it's just changing the energy, right? So it's like, it's changing it from being like a quest for more when we don't feel like we have enough, whatever it is, right? Lack of time, lack of resources, lack of energy. Then we're on this constant quest for more. It changes it to like a place of presence, which just brings more awareness about what our priorities are and gratitude. So 
from that place of presence, we can make like conscious choices about where we want to go in the future. So we can still continue to have goals and ideas and visions for our future. Uh, I'm trying to lob you envisioning a little bit. And at the same time, just be present and grateful for where we are now, rather than just like, like grasping at whatever more is because we feel this sense of lack. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and Chris, I totally resonate with that kind of tension between I have enough, but I also have dreams and I want to grow and I want more of certain things. And I actually discussed this on a, a recent podcast with uh, an author named Sarah McCrum, and she has this book called Love Money, Money Loves You. And it's very different, very different than any personal finance book you've ever read. It's it's like the energy of money is speaking to through her explaining itself to us. And it talks about that the energy of, uh, you know, the universe is expanding and increase the energy of increase is kind of how things are in the world, right? The stars are expanding and the universe is expanding. And so it, it makes sense that we want more. But so I asked her, I'm like, look, I thought enough was what I was going for. <laughs> like, I, I thought I'd get, you know, feel enough, and then I'd have everything. So that net that tension that Chris was describing is totally. That's the way things are, right, especially for people who are, you know, high achievers and, and have a growth mindset and want to get better and, and grow and contribute. That energy is is totally normal. And so, you know, she basically described it as you know, we can come from a place of enough and still grow more and still be open to receiving more. In this case, she was talking about money because, you know, she kind of put it to me. She's like, would you like more people to have mindfulness in their life? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Would you like to be responsible for more people to have mindfulness in their life? I was like, absolutely. That's why I'm doing this. And she's like, exactly. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So, Can I? Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, ahead, but it changes please. it from like a but to an and, right? Like enough, but more. Now it's like, yeah, I already have enough, and more people can also come to mindfulness or whatever the concept is. It's like it. We don't have to like make this dichotomy. It, it's an and and not a but. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think I interrupted you though. So if you had more to share there, go for it. No, I think that's I think that's pretty much it, right? Like we can come from this place of gratitude and appreciation and feeling like our needs are met and we have all the things that we want and still want to contribute more and still want to grow more because that's the natural way of things. And mm. so you know, to what you were saying before, Deb, like, it's definitely about the energy. It's, it's, am I coming from a place of gratitude and, and appreciation for all that I have, and I want to pursue more? Or am I trying to fill a hole? Right? Am I trying to go on a shopping spree or out to a very expensive dinner because I don't feel good? And I need to fill this hole. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is the the energy that we bring to it. And yeah, but it's, it's very much like a, it's a balancing act, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So would you say that this um, idea of enoughness, balancing it maybe with more helps um, someone with this concept you have of envisioning? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Are they related or? You know, they're probably related, but you know, the way I think about envisioning is, is really asking yourself, what do I want my life to look like? Right. We, in the financial independence movement, a lot of us have an idea. We want, we have a vision for wanting to retire, right? A lot of people have a vision for wanting to retire or make work optional, but what's on the other side of that? That goal in itself is somewhat motivating, but what's even more motivating is having a really clear picture of what you want your life to look like, because it turns out that there are a couple of things happening in our brain that make it such that the stories that we tell ourselves and the vision that we have for our life that we keep top of mind makes it inevitable that we will go and, and move in that direction. And so let me talk about that for a second. So the first aspect of our brain is that it has a, as is this concept of neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the idea that everything we think, feel, and pay attention to changes our brain in terms of form and function, right? So everything we pay attention to is changing our brain all the time. And so if you think about any skill you've ever learned, whether it be, you know, playing guitar, let's take playing guitar. At first, everything's very uncomfortable. The strings don't, you know, feel that like even holding the guitar doesn't feel natural. The finger movements, the sounds, everything is super unnatural. As you practice more and more, all of those things become easier because the neural circuitry associated with it in your brain becomes kind of a well-worn path. And so our brain is changing all the time based on experience. The next thing is that our brains are predictive. A researcher named Regina Polly published an article a few years ago called The Predicting Brain. And she said that even before events happen, our brain has made a prediction of what is most likely to happen and sets in motion the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, and even physiological responses for what's expected. She goes on to say, In a sense, we learn from the past what to predict for the future and then live the future we expect. And the way I think about this is we're telling ourselves stories about how our life is going to be, and then we're acting out those stories, right? (laughs) And these stories that we're telling ourselves are based on the neuroplasticity of the past, right? And so envisioning is really first becoming aware of what those stories are right? Mindfulness really helps us to become aware of what our stories are. And then to ask, is this a useful story? Is this the direction I want to go? Right? A lot of people have stories like, I never have enough money, or I never have enough time, or I'm so busy. And guess what they get? Not a lot of money, not a lot of time. You get what you ask for. So envisioning is coming up with a better story that is taking you where you want to go. And so the way that I counsel people to do this is through journaling. And I'm going to be releasing some journaling prompts on my website that I ask myself on a regular basis, which really are, what do I want my life to look like? And when I have people sit down and journal about this, I have them set aside all of the 
limitations and thoughts of why this won't work and, you know, rational thinking, all of that can wait, you know, that can be to the side. That's how we're thinking all the time. So I have them set that aside and I have them ask themselves like five years from now, what do you want your life to look like? If everything goes better than expected, what does that look like? And that allows you to really paint a picture for yourself. And, and then I have some other practices that I share that allow you to kind of do like an affirmations practice of keeping that top of mind and showing yourself that there are elements of that in my life right now. And so you just practice those beliefs over and over again, and you just start to move in that direction and amazing things happen. Um, you know, for instance, this room that you, you are seeing here, it, I've always had a vision that I wanted to design and build my own house. And I would literally like draw it out. And this room, which for those who are listening is a sun room with kind of a, an A-frame type roof. That is exactly what I envisioned. And mm. I didn't even have to build it. I just, I looked at like 10 houses when we started looking for houses and we walked into this room and I'm like, this is it. This is what I envisioned. <laughs> yeah. And so even this thing that I say I want in, you know, to do in the future, I already have. And mm -hmm. so envisioning is really all about thinking big about your life and really creating space for you to, to dream, right? We get so caught up in the day-to-day -day and envisioning is putting our predicting brain to work to create the future we want. Yeah, almost like writing the story of your future from a conscious aware place versus all these stories we've told ourselves that limit us. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that sounds super helpful uh, to have those journaling prompts because even I'm a guy that uh, that loves to live in the future. Like, so it's it's easy for me to actually look at the future. It's really hard for me to stay present and really learn a lot from the past. Um so, so that's just like my natural tendency. And again, uh, so I can, I can do that, but it was, it was, it was almost always in the context of money and a job. Like I never, I never take the, took that same time to look like, what does fatherhood look like in five years? Like who's the father I want to be to the girls that, um, I now know, but where, where will they be in five years? And what kind of role do I want to have in their life at that point in time? Same thing with that as a, as a partner and husband to Deb, and as a child to the other people in my life or uh, to my parents and, and, and things like that. And that's been, that's been a little bit harder to do. Cause like, I guess picturing my financial picture and picturing my career picture, it was almost like that limited scope of, I know what the possibilities here are at my job. And I know what the possibilities of with the current amount of money I was making. So it was almost like I was just narrowing that scope, but I love, I love have, having that opportunity to either journal or workshop, do some of those exercises that, that takes you into the future. And especially when it's around things that are a lot more important to me than, than money and career uh, used, to, to, used to really fill up uh, a lot of that space. So. And also, like often you can say if this is true or not, you're looking ahead to the future from a place of worry and also and limited by what the stories you believe are available oh, yeah, to you. And it sounds like Adam's talking about letting go of that and just not limiting it to these stories that we think are available. Yeah, I do. I do both. Like I, I dream, uh, you know, I like, uh, so go bucket yourself. Uh, 
the, the concept of, of like, oh, this is a mountain I want to climb in five years. So there, that's not from necessarily like a place of worry. That mm-hmm. is more of from a place of like, I will need to uh, gain these skills in order to be able to do those things and feel cool there. But uh, there are plenty of stories that I play, especially again, when it comes, when it comes to money of like, I have to build these safety nets or these, these, uh, you know, these things now so that I won't be completely broke in five years. So those ones definitely are from a limited mindset. Yeah. It sounds like Adam, you're working on having that available. Um, maybe by the time we release this episode, it might be available to anyone listening that's interested in, in envisioning through this journal that you have. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's just a, a free guide I'm putting together. It will definitely be available by the time you release this. It's going to light a fire for me um, <laughs> to do it. No pun intended. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's really just the questions that you can sit down and ask yourself from time to time around, around you know, what, what do I want my life to look like, right? And it's not set in stone. It's just one, you know, snapshot in time of your future of what you want it to look like. And I have people write it in the present tense. So imagine yourself sitting five years in the future, writing out these prompts and describing your life uh, as it is. And then one other thing I ask people to do is to think about how you want to feel, right? That's, that's a big one for me because it doesn't come naturally to me. And so how do I want to feel in the future, right? I was talking with a friend about how I was feeling overwhelmed by all the ideas I had for the podcast. And, and she was like, look, start thinking about how you want to feel, right? How do you, what is your state of mind as you're going about your days? Envision that. And I was like, oh yeah, this works for that too. And so really we can apply this uh, to all aspects of our life. And then we can practice that uh, and, and, start to notice how these pieces are falling into place. And, you know, the way the analogy I often use is like, when you get a new car, and suddenly that car is everywhere, or right now my wife is pregnant. Oh, yeah. So now I see pregnant women all over the place. <laughs> it's, it's not like Subarus and pregnant women are just all over the place. Now, yeah. I'm just more ready to see it. And so that's the power of the predicting brain and neuroplasticity we are essentially planting the seeds of the things that we want. And each time we practice these thoughts, we're watering those seeds again and again. And we can't help but move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And there are some really, you know, it all starts with sitting down, journaling, creating some space in your life to think big and to set aside all those, you know, limiting ideas um, and just to play with it. And it's yeah. really amazing how, how it all comes together. Well, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Um, and super appreciative that you're providing that for listeners to get some clarity and do some envisioning of their own. I really, I thought we would have a great conversation, but I can't tell you how much this conversation has resonated with me at least, uh, we just gave a talk at Camp Phi called Writing Your Phi Story. And we talked about uh, enoughness. We talked about asking yourself how you want to feel. We talked about like rewriting your stories after you become aware of. So I don't know if it's my ego right now or if it's just like, wow, this is, you know, like really mirroring a lot of where I'm at in my life at this point too. So thank you so much for um 
all of your time and energy in this, you know, respect and really helping clarify and make it, um, yeah, just really clear to someone listening. I know Chris probably has a question he wants to ask you before we wrap up. Maybe, I don't know if you feel like you want to ask that question or not. Oh yeah. So, I mean, what we have been doing since season three is, is asking each guest, like what is something that, that is on their bucket list and trying to add some, some flavor and mixture to like, I'm really into outdoorsy stuff. So a lot of my, my bucket list is there, but yeah. So is there something, anything when you're going five years into the future, Adam, that, uh, that you, you see out there that you want to share that you're going to make a reality someday? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, you know, like you said, Chris, I'm also very future oriented and it, I have to pull myself back into the <laughs> into the present quite a bit because I'm I'm definitely a dreamer. And so, yes, have a lot of dreams. Um, you know, I'd say my bucket list item is still designing and building my own house and the way that this is manifesting now in my life is because I already have, you know, this house that I I love and is is really suiting us now, but it's to design and build a skate park casita. So Whoa. it's a ridiculous, there's a, a ridiculous first. I have thing. never heard anyone say that before. Let's go. Yeah, no one says, I, I, I like to, I like to make connections between completely ir- irrelevant items. Uh, and so this skate park casita is essentially something I want to build in my backyard, which it, it's, uh, you know, looks a lot like this room. And it, it's a combination of an indoor skate park, a half pipe, and kind of a jump box section because I have gotten back into rollerblading. I'm an adult rollerblader since the pan- right. pandemic started. And right. uh, I know it's, it's ridiculous, but uh, no, and also, uh, you know, a combination of that plus an office for me where I'll run my future company, uh, which and then also a community space. I want to host retreats in this space, kind of like day-long retreats, envisioning workshops. So I, I really see, you know, people, I'm, I'm very close to New York City. So I see like leadership teams coming down, hosting them, leading a workshop, having like meditation and a mindful walking through a little forest we have there. And um the skate park is just for me. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Kind of doing that and then building a business from there where I'm leading these workshops and traveling around the world and bringing my family with me um, and just having these amazing adventures around the world while doing it in the context of entrepreneurship and a business and creating impact and, and kind of it all centers around this, this little you know, mindful fire headquarters, skate park, casita. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. That is so, yeah. So original, so unique, at least. Uh, yeah. I've not heard anyone talk about skate park casitas and, but I can, I can already envision uh, what that might look like as, as you cre- uh, create that and bring it into life. So excited to follow along as, as you do that. I'm just picturing you uh, on your rollerblades in your indoor skate park. And that looks really fun. So very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap, um, including how someone listening might be able to connect with you? Um, the best way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, first off, thank you again for having me. This is so much fun. And I really love what you both are doing. And 
him and inspired by your journey and your stories of adventures, uh, some amazing <laughs> stuff on the other episodes. So thank you for inviting me. Um, people can connect with me on by visiting mindfulfire.org. You can find the free journaling envisioning guide at mindfulfire.org slash start, S-T-A-R-T. Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Adam. Last name is C-O-E-L-H-O. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Instagram at the Mindful Fire Podcast. So okay. we'd love to, to hear from you, um, hear about your vision, answer any questions I can about meditation, mindfulness, fire, any of that. Um, love to connect with the audience in any way that they'd love. Thank All you right. so much. This has definitely been our pleasure, Adam. We really appreciate you and your time. So thank you. We're always making choices, many times every day. Awareness is the bridge to making those choices according to our actual priorities and values. Without awareness, we act from an unconscious space of the recycled stories and limitations of our mind. Adam teaches us that awareness is the foundation for conscious choice, value-aligned priorities, recognizing enough, and clearer, more expansive visions of our future. He also shows us that awareness is both the purpose for and result of mindfulness. By noticing the stories of our past becoming aware, we're able to find more presence today and envision an expansive future, a future not limited by unconscious patterns that are keeping us from the lives we're truly meant to be living. May you practice presence today, friend. May you find a moment, a space, a time to become the observer of your mind. In that noticing, may you begin questioning what it is you're hearing repeated from the places you previously acted from unknowingly. And from that place of awareness, may you finally become the conscious author of your own life. One small step at a time. A life that's aligned with your priorities, values, and authentic truth now and moving forward, inspiring others to do so along the way. Much love to you all, today and every day. <laughs>